This poem is entitled, Adding Negatives. Back to the whiteboard. You remember PEMDAS, right? That last step is key. Welcome to the Creative Block, the dopest spot for exploring all things tech, brands, and culture. We're a group of emerging creatives that come together after hours to pick each other's brains about any topic. And whether it's educational, thought-provoking, or just plain weird, it's always a vibe with us. So if you're at our block party, you've probably found yourself daydreaming about how the world could be and how the whole squad can win. Come kick it with us. And while you're listening, send us your thoughts to our Instagram at the Creative Block Podcast. Hit that subscribe button and catch us Thursdays on the block. Mm, wait a minute, wait a minute. Read that one again because there's a lot of wordplay that you have going on right there. Go ahead, go ahead, mouth harass that mic. This is the way you do it. I like that. Read it out, read it out loud, read it out loud. <laughs> Adding negatives. Back to the whiteboard. You remember PEMDAS, right? That last step is key. That was sexy. You did that. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. You always come mm-hmm. with the latest poems. <laughs> she really do. First of all, you mentioned PEMDAS, right? PEMDAS. But then if you think about it, PEMDAS ends with an S. It does. And S means subtraction. Yes, it does. And subtraction is what we're talking about today. Exactly. We're talking about designers using the subtractive method. And a lot of times designers are at the whiteboard. And once the idea goes away from them, they have to kind of go back to what it says on the whiteboard. What was our MVP here? I think we can just end the show right there. No, for real. Y'all do that. Hmm. That's what I'm saying. That's the word. That's, you know, that's the topic that we wanted to get out of out of today. And so that is, I think we can just close up shop. How about this? We'll just take this little piece and copy it and put it at the end. And there's our conclusion. <laughs> uh, so have y'all ever heard of the phrase, less is more? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Do you guys remember that project about the design systems? And we had to each rebrand mm-hmm. a... a a brand. I did the most. I remember Andrew like pulled me aside and was like, yeah, like sometimes less is more. Like you have to practice mature constraint. I like that though. I like that. That's what he called it. Whoa. That's what he called it. <laughs> I do like that. You ever heard me use that one with feedback? No, I've never heard you use mature constraint until now, but now I'm going to pay attention to it. Anyway, we've all heard the phrase less is more, right? But what if I told you that humans actually have the tendency to add more in their effort to solve problems? Anyway, from this study that was done out of the University of Virginia by researchers Gabrielle S. Adams, Benjamin A. Converse, Andrew H. H. Hales, and Lady, my bad if I miss said your name, E. Clotes, they found that, and I quote, people systematically default to searching for additive transformations and consequently overlook subtractive transformations. So in a more layman's term, what this all means is that 
It's not that we don't think about subtracting from whenever we are solving problems. It's that we just have a tendency to just want to add more, do more. I was thinking about designers and like when I look at hashtag design or when I think about why I enjoy looking at design, it's because I saw people make solutions that I never thought about. Mm-hmm. You know, when you see stuff from other countries or you see somebody do something in a very unique way that you wouldn't think of, um, that kind of gets me excited just to think about how we're all doing stuff a certain way just because we think that's how it's supposed to be done. Right. True innovation is like looking at the problem exactly for what it is, not in the context of whatever you used to think about that product. You're exactly right. And that's why that's why this remembering subtraction might be a helpful thing for us to do as designers because when you know when you add more and more, you fall into the risk of complexity. And I guess we will dive deeper into that as we go through some of these examples. So y'all ready to get into this little game we have? Yes. Yes, and SP, kudos to you, because the last time, mm, 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 mm. <laughs> <laughs> nah, don't do me like that. Shut the fuck up. So who wants to take the first spin? Spin now, wheel. Oh. This is so extra. <laughs> that's what we wanted. We wanted fanfare. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> anyway, SP, this one's yours. <laughs> so you can kick us off with our first one, okay. which is um, state the function. Okay. This one is about the algorithms on your timeline on Facebook and your stories on Instagram. Usually the people that you interact with most are brought to the front of your feed. And I personally think that is a terrible idea. While it makes sense and you can stay up to date with a few key people, you basically never run into any of the other people's stories if you're not on Facebook or Instagram that long. So the one platform that you're supposed to be using to keep tabs on people you don't really get to see all the time is just turned into... Uh, 24-7 real, the people you see the most. And I don't think that's in the spirit of the platform. So I ask you, what if my connection is Beyonce? That in some ways is an artificial connection, but I still want to see all of the content that's related to her because I've curated my Instagram in that way. If you're following particular content or there's one specific person that you do want to see every one of their stuff, you'll go out and find it either way. So it doesn't necessarily need for it to be automated into your experience while scrolling because mm-hmm. you would seek it out like those are the things that are closest to you most important to you i do agree with you that the timeline algorithm because it started out very simple right like depending on who your friends were it just grouped everybody in chronological order but now it sort of moved into they added on complex smarts to it right so not only are things sometimes grouped in order, but they're grouped mm-hmm. based off of relevancy and things you've interacted with in the past and said in the third, which makes it super smart for marketing. And in that way, it sort of makes more sense to advertisers. But does it com- does it complicate the feeling of connection for, you know, people that want to just go on Instagram to connect with their people? I don't know if there's that many of I don't know if there's that many users like that anymore. I don't know. This is a feature 
where it was like because they can do it, they do it, but they didn't actually because they can't make money off of it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but I guess I just think about like you know how you have friends who you didn't realize they had a whole family since the yeah. last time you talked to them. I yeah. I personally think that that's because if they don't post or you don't catch their post, you're not going to click right. on their page and go mm-hmm. and catch up with them. The only and it is to get presented to you, and then it's like, what's the point? Like you guys are not even mm-hmm. linked to like, like there's no push for you to actually click on their information because it's hidden right. at the back of the line. You know the thing that's kind of missing from this algorithm, and I think you've talked about this before, SP, is your disposition at that time. So like, if Instagram had an entire control over your phone, which it probably does, <laughs> and sort of knew that you were interacting with your sister. And so if your sister made a post, it might think that, huh, we want to surface this one up because she just was talking to her sister. In that moment, at that time, I need to see pictures of my cousins, for example. That would also complicate it even further because it's like, do we prioritize family over serving up some ads to generate revenue? I think they're going after the money. That's what I think. Yeah, I definitely definitely believe that this is a bottom line thing for Instagram and Facebook. I think their target market has just shifted. And so now they're trying to serve the people who come onto their platform for, like you said, Jeremy, marketing purposes. I don't think that it has anything to do with the general or the or the old user of Instagram. I think people's behaviors have changed in the way that they use the application in general. Where are they where are they making money off of this? They're selling paid ads. So the more exposure people get to the pay ads, the more they can charge. So they can say, oh, we'll charge you a premium if we can make sure that your ad is seen by, you know, 50% of your target market that you have specified. We can charge you even more if we can guarantee that. So now when you create like your audiences and you can create mirror audiences of other brands and things like that, you can you can basically get on Instagram and Facebook Creator Studio and say, I want to create an ad that targets all the people who follow such and such. And if Instagram can say, okay, we we bet, like we can show your ad, mm-hmm. we can make sure your brand get, gets exposure to like 2 million people, I can charge you more than if I can say for a fact like your brand only going to get exposed to the 15 p- other people that's interested in this, in this that you follow. Right. So are you saying that that Instagram can ensure that I will be in my stories if my closest friends are the ones that I'm being presented in my story? So you know how at the top of your stories, you have like maybe six or seven bubbles, right? Mm-hmm. All of those are the people who are being pushed to you or presented to you right now. You could keep scrolling and find other people, but I may not get through more than those people that are right in front of me. Are you saying that they're giving me those specific people because of ad revenue in between shuffling through the stories? They could be saying that these people are interested in the same things that you're interested in or people, a a majority of the people that you follow are interested in these people, right? So if me and Jeremy go and like the same thing and everybody that we go to school with go and like the same thing on Instagram, they're more than likely going to show you that thing because they said the people that interact with most on this platform is interested in this thing. So we think that you might be interested in it too. 
churches right there like they pull based upon like your network and stuff like what sort of ads to serve you is probably probably like one data point if we give them people that we know they're going to click on that means we can put these four ads in between these stories to sell a product so it's not like they're saying that we're going to push you know treasure up there because treasure likes the same thing as you do but it's like you're more prone to click on treasure story great now we know we can fill in this ad space with other stuff so it's like it's a complex system of algorithms working together to just like smartly infiltrate ads into certain areas of of your experience in this ad whether that is on the main screen in the stories in the explore page like wherever they probably have smart ways to get whatever it is but i think to your point is like instagram was supposed to be a place of connection and sort of like using staying connected with your network as like Facebook was. But now it has become this thing where it's like you were less concerned about getting connected with your actual network. It's actually like people that are around you, like it's in a family and more um, compelled to get involved with your like social network of like people and their, you know, what's ever on their mind. And that Instagram job is to connect you with that. So connect you with what treasure is thinking about buying and seeing if it can also get you to buy it because you might be like treasure. So that's mm-hmm. kind of like how it's more like, yeah, it's, it's become this different space. I really don't like that because I feel like when I use these platforms, I don't always know everybody who I'm friends with, to be honest. Like, I could have met you, had a wonderful conversation with you, maybe took a class with you or something, but you changed your last name. And honestly, I cannot remember where I met you from. I would like to be able to keep in the loop and remember, like, you know, keep up to date with people. But um, I don't have time to sit here and start dragging, going through, mm-hmm. clicking through, scrolling through everybody's stuff. I just mm-hmm. have the timeline do it for me. Right. You're just, you're just looking for a simple social media. And unfortunately, that one seems... So, like... For your function, Facebook minus, minus the relevancy algorithm, could it benefit from subtraction? Sure, if they wanted to, you know, get back in touch with folks like you who just want to use social media to connect with their family. But I don't think that's, I don't think that's their bread and butter right now. See, but not even my family. Like, for instance, I have this new hobby that I'm looking at. I'm sure I have multiple people in my network who have that hobby. But because I never connect with them on that level, I don't know. I really don't know. And I would have to start like posting about it a lot and see if it perhaps comes into their radar or into their loop. Mm-hmm. You know, but they're not necessarily helping connect me to those people. They're just there. And then the way that we're using the platform automatically, it only like tops you off, kind of. Yeah. Well, it might not connect you to your friends that do it, but it will connect you to somebody else out there who is like popular after doing this That's thing. True. Like if you're in the skating, you just so happen to watch skating TikToks, you can get into all these skating videos and be like, hmm, cool. But you're not going to find your next door neighbor cat who's your best friend who also skates unless you, you know, like open your mouth and say so. <laughs> That's what they should be doing. These social medias, they have, they're sold out. Remember in seventh grade when you were putting your MySpace background up and like putting your best friends up here together because you wanted to show them that you care that they were your friend. You had them all in a hierarchy. They were at least top 12. Oh, great. I can expand my network. I can, you know what I'm saying? Like that, it used to be all love and now it's all glitter. That's not gold. Ooh, that sounds like the beginning of another haiku. (laughs) I just think they should intentionally mix it up so that I see people that I don't always see. 
as well, like in between there. Mm-hmm. I agree. I had unfollowed like 200 people. And finally, I started Damn. seeing more people that I, um, I'm like, dang, I forgot I even followed these people. Because I never see them because they never, you know, make it through the algorithm. In the case of Facebook and the Instagram algorithm, subtraction is necessary. Subtraction won't happen. <laughs> anyway, spin that wheel. All right. This one on the docket is interviews. And this one, this one was mine. So as a little bit of context, I was specifically going to talk about tech and sort of design interviewing because they they most likely feature this thing called a whiteboarding challenge, which is where imagine it, you're in a room with somebody else, a stranger that you just met who's interviewing you, and they task you with the problem, and now you have to stand at a whiteboard and like solve the problem together in like real time during your interview. So I think that. The interviewing process, minus this whiteboarding challenge, could be a more holistic process because one, the whiteboarding challenge, in my opinion, is a waste of fucking time. <laughs> because who works like that? Like how how many times are you ever been with somebody and said, "All right, y'all, we got 15 minutes to solve this problem. Let's go on this whiteboard and just like you know, yeah." A lot of times, the reality of work is you're not collaborating like that. You're kind of like you know. You have moments of collaboration, but a lot of times you're working apart, coming together, working apart, coming together, and it's not like you in that session. Second of all, not everybody is good to working in that situation. That doesn't mean I'm a bad designer because I like one, it's a fucking stressful interview. It probably got eight different parts to it. Two, I don't know you. And so at the same time, I'm like trying to suss out, you know me, I'm a very collaborative person. But a lot of times, like, it takes time to build up that rapport with somebody to really have effective collaboration. Are you mm-hmm. asking me to pull out my ass on spot? No. And so I think that there is just ample opportunity to replace this challenge with something else that not only alludes to how your job works, but can be better for everybody that's around. So I think interviewing minus this whiteboarding challenge can give you more just holistic process. I don't know what that thing is, but I think by freeing up that space and freeing up this thought that we got to test people in this way. It's just silly. What do y'all I think? agree. I agree. Sometimes with, inter- like with the whiteboarding sessions, there are people in the room with you that you can collab with or, you know, ask questions to. This this particular one, they was like, okay, we're going to give you 30 minutes. We're going to leave the room, do your thing. And it was like, that one was weird. That one was so weird because in the whiteboarding session, it's all it's supposed to be about like collaboration and understanding how you think. If you're not in the room and I'm just in there, you know, scribbling stuff down and, you know, writing stuff, like, how am I supposed to collab with you? How are you supposed to get an idea of how I will be on your team? I think they need to go ahead and let it go. Go ahead and let it go. (laughs) It's so unnatural. Like, the same thing that you're saying, Treasure. It's so unnatural to work in that way because when at work, is someone going to throw me? I know this is the argument. Like, when at work, is someone going to throw me something? You got 30 minutes, girl, I saw this thing. Hey. The second part is, you as a person who's working here, how many times do you do this? Like, this does not reflect your actual work culture. And an interview is a two-way street, right? So at the same time you're interviewing this to see if they fit within your culture, they're interviewing you. I had one interview where instead um, instead of doing a whiteboarding challenge, we 
critiqued a piece of their work. So something that they had just recently like worked on or whatever that had got launched. And I was like, this is nice because one, I can see how, like what y'all's critique culture is like, which is a very big thing when it comes to design. Like how are we approaching this problem? What space can I take up here? What space do you take up here? Like how do we work around this thing? I felt like I got better uh, sort of like signals just about what that company was like, you know, in that small session. Whereas whiteboarding challenges, it's just me asking a bunch of questions and me, you know, being like having two little scribbles on my piece of paper because by the time 15 minutes is up, I've asked you 30 questions. Yeah. <laughs> we got nowhere. Right. Well, who are the users? What's the problem? Have we solved this before? What's some other things we could look at? Can I use my laptop? It's just... <laughs> I'm weak. Yeah. But for real, I mean, I also think that, excuse me, I also think that whiteboarding challenges... Um, kind of make me look at companies that way because it's like, is you going to use my work when I'm not in here? Y'all going to steal my ideas. That, and that's why it's important too when you do on whiteboarding challenges to to clarify how, you know, how the team is thinking about the work already. Mm-hmm. And if this is actually a problem that the company is try, actively trying to solve. Because if this is a problem that the company is actively trying to solve, excuse me, um, but I'm gonna have to go ahead and go somewhere else because y'all not about to use my work and not give me a job and not pay me for my time. Mm-hmm. And I think something that's been coming up more and more, I've been reading articles about it, is how people feel that they should be compensated for whiteboarding challenges mm-hmm. or that entire you know interview process in general because there has been instances where mm-hmm. um, you know interviewers are in these whiteboarding challenges and the company actually turns around and yep. produces the work that has come from them. But instead, maybe that's the time to look at your process and go, let's scale this back to really figure out what are the key indicators that we want to get from all our candidates and what's the most effective way to get that. And let's start there instead of saying, well, let's add on one more challenge or one more thing or one more this or one more, you know. That's an excellent point. And I, th- as you're talking, such is the hazard of all standardized testing. Someone's always going to be left mm-hmm. at the disadvantage of the arbitrary qualifications mm-hmm. that somebody made. And unfortunately, and if you guys want to go back and listen to we recorded an episode about the job interviewing process. <laughs> <laughs> the plug! <laughs> but even in, that, even in that episode, we referenced on, on what scale all of the conventions of professional interviewing and how unuseful they are. Like many of the the popular things, like a lot of, I mean, resume stuff, cover letter stuff. People will tell you, oh, I never mm-hmm. read a cover letter or, oh, like the resume ATS software, like really doesn't necessarily pull who's qualified for the job. And for me, I think a whiteboarding challenge is the equivalent of asking me to go on a mock date with a mannequin. <laughs> and it's like, they're not giving me anything. Like you have to, you, I could go through That's the motions so and be like, oh, what a, lo- what a lovely time it is tonight. Well, I guess we'll ask the waiter for the check. Like, you know, you could do it, but you'll look stupid and you don't necessarily know how you'll act yep. in the moment. Like, I think like a whiteboarding challenge is fine if the whole team is a part of it and you get to see how you interact with the whole squad and, see like are people bouncing ideas off Mm -hmm. of each other like and you just or you just kind of come in something they Mm -hmm. were already doing you just kind of come in and you just like Mm -hmm. like add what you can and ask ask questions even if you can't solve the problems they can figure out where your mind is at you know just by being like 
open mm-hmm. and not necessarily judging your performance. Yep. This process seems to process get to the point where it's good intentions, horrible impact yeah. because it's it's just yes, it's supposed to be a way to get data from folks and figure out if it's the most qualified candidate, but the whole hiring process had got convoluted at this point. So interviewing as a whole could suffer for could benefit from from some subtraction to really figure out what like I said before, what are these data points? We're not trying to go out on dates with mannequins no more, right? We're trying to go on dates with real people, okay? We need a hidden camera show. Like we need like you and your element. We need like to throw you into a real situation and see how you would react and not this face. We're talking about advertising interviews. Performance anxiety yep. is real. Yep. And on that note, let's go ahead and go to the next. <laughs> you, you want me to yeah, shuffle sh- the deck? Go ahead, go ahead, spin the deck and go to the next one. Shuffle and spin. This was me again, and I need y'all to go on this journey with me because I know y'all never owned this system before. So, I my brother had a, a Wii. Wii. Oh wait, exactly. not a Wii U. That's, that's what I'm asking. What's a Wii? Okay, Wii? so a Wii. So y'all know what the Wii is, correct? Mm-hmm. A Wii U was the successor to the Wii. So you know, all consoles go through this cycle where they have one and then they release a, a newer version of it. So the Wii U was the was the grown up version of of the Wii. It was the, the the next successor. So instead of the motion controls, the Wii U added a tablet screen as its main controller. So essentially, y'all remember a Nintendo DS? How it had two screens. So imagine if you broke mm-hmm. the DS apart, and the top screen was your TV, and the bottom screen was your controller. That is what the Wii U was, and. It was situated oddly in the market because it came off of like the high success of the Wii, which it was in everybody's fucking home. And Nintendo sort of made this weird system that wasn't exactly a Wii, but wasn't strong enough to be next gen. It just kind of existed in this weird space. Nobody really knew how to use it. The controller always died. Like the touchscreen was just terrible. It was it was a very much so. Um, Weird step for them um, in the form of yes. This is a Nintendo PSP. Yeah, I have a question. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Um, was this able to be used outside of the home? Was it no. Wasn't portable. No, oh, that's so, ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, so it wasn't. It was just like you sat in front of your TV and just had this tablet controller, and like it didn't, it didn't do anything. And so my whole thing here is that the Wii U minus the controller still would have failed the console wars, but would have been a more successful console. I'm torn on it. And I probably picked the wrong people to talk to this about because you have to kind of know a little bit about about game consoles here. But this controller sucked. I mean, who do you think we are? I just, like... We know about game consoles. Now talk, speak your piece. (laughs) So... Y'all know after the Wii U was made, then it came out with the Nintendo Switch, right? Mm-hmm. Which the Nintendo Switch is essentially what the Wii U was trying to do because it's clearly the same thing except for the controllers detach from it and it, and it has the portableness of it. Yeah. So the Wii U minus the controller still would have felt the console war, but I want to make the point here that 
I think even though it could have benefited from subtraction, the learnings that they learned from adding on too much helped them make a more efficient console down the road. And so I want to like ask y'all about sort of thinking through this, what is the moment where addition is the right next step because it can help you subtract in the future? That was a long-winded way of getting to that, but... Because they were able to figure out what doesn't yes. work, right? Mm-hmm. Is that what you're saying? Okay. I would never buy this. I, I, I'm sorry, but I just don't... I'm not understanding the appeal of a little baby console that I still can't see the screen. And I got to plug it in. It was weird. It was a weird time. So the wall? So the console plugs into the wall. The controller doesn't plug into anything. The the console casts the the information on the controller screen to sort of oh, mirror okay. whatever it's playing and whatnot. But you couldn't take it out the house. You couldn't use it when it was like too far away from the console. It kind of just was like this other screen you had in your hand. What year was this? This was 20, like 15 maybe. Oh, I can't excuse them for that. Ultimately, this system failed. Nobody brought it. It wasn't like, at the same time, the PS3, no, PS4 and the Xbox were like coming out as well. And those were, you know, like really big powerful consoles. This one wasn't powerful at all. It just really was lackluster. But then they came out with the successor to this, which essentially was the Wii U, or it's, which essentially was the Switch just with a different... Just with what you expected the Wii U to be. You could clearly see that this was an experiment for them to get to this next step. Hmm. Yeah, well, they can pack it up. Well, they, they, they did pack it up. They did. <laughs> they did to the switch. I think, I think it's important, though. Sometimes you got to push the limits to see what the market is willing to accept because there could have been a market for it if people would have received it, but then they realized people ain't fucking with this. Let us, let, let us go back to the mm-hmm. drawing board. See, a product um, like this, I do wonder because, like, if you were working on this team, like, what can you do? Like, how, can, you, can you bring it back? Like, you really can't because someone just put in motion. Mm-hmm. It, it gives me, I'm convinced that Disney is making all these live action remakes so they can test new technology. And the reason that I believe this theory is because the Lion King movie, as you know, was completely made in VR and it was a way for them to test all like VR textures and making movies like in that sort of format. And so I think a lot of companies that have a lot of just like money to blow, essentially, will test these things out in very like low risk ways to sort of figure mm-hmm. out what it, where they can innovate on next. And sometimes like, like if they were to come up with the Switch right after the Wii, it would have been interesting because it would have been so far removed from what the we was i agree with that i agree with that i don't think people were ready i think yeah i don't think people were ready for the switch which is strange because the psp came out and did successful years before this Mm -hmm. but from from nintendo people were in the in the mind space of what the what the we was Mm -hmm. so had they went to the switch i was like they, it probably would have been a disconnect with the market still, but I think by them releasing Wii U, it kind of primed the market for them. Yeah. And yeah. Yep. Yeah. It really did. Because when the Switch came out, people was like, 
None of this makes sense to me. Like I like I understand why I would want a portable console that's from Nintendo. It doesn't really have it has motion controls in it, but not like you know where the Wii used to be swinging recklessly around the thing because people don't people don't want that shit no more, right? It was novel for a little bit, now it's gone. So I don't think they would have gotten there as the way they would have if they didn't have this failure. And I think that's the sort of say that like subtraction isn't this magical answer right here. It's sometimes just part of the logical step that you have to go through the system of addition and subtraction, just subtraction, multiplication, division, you know, like. Yeah. I would say that what you guys are talking about is kind of like agile, but like deluxe agile, like for the wealthy companies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, let's just yeah. crank it out and see how it does. Yep. They yeah. Just, they just took it too yeah. far. Throwing spaghetti at the wall. But I think sometimes brands know what they're doing. Nintendo might have known, like, the people behind that was working on this product might have known, like, all right, we know, we probably know this isn't going to do as well. Mm-hmm. We're going to test it anyway. Mm-hmm. But we're going to mm-hmm. test it to prime the market because we got another idea that we want yep. to put out into the world. Yep. But yeah. they ain't ready for what yet. Yep. I mean, they can I see that with a lot of, with a, what'd you say, SP? They can get a lot of information based off of even, like, the handheld mm-hmm. element of it. Or their suppliers, or you know, manufacturing, they could they could have mm-hmm. a lot of data that they can mm-hmm. collect from this. Mm-hmm. Information is key, and uh, something you said about priming the market. Like sometimes the technology isn't there yet for you to like. You might have this big vision of I want to have this system that is both handheld and also portable. The controllers come off. Like I want it to be this wide experience. And then you get to you know the parts people are like, girl, we don't, we ain't got this yet. We know. <laughs> And the switch was a bold move, having the 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 uh, the controllers be removable. Mm-hmm. Like that's a bold move because like people, they I know they have the one where they aren't removable, and then they have the one where they are removable, and you can two different players can play with, mm-hmm. with the one console. But like that's a wild idea. And so I could imagine if they would have put that out, niggas would have been like, "What? Right? Like, like Jesus. how you gonna tell me we going from swinging our hands back and forth to now we going to this thing and you just." Ejecting your controller off of it, yeah. It would have been like, it would have been a lot. <laughs> well, yeah, dope. it's built in with two controllers, which is nice because you only have to buy one system and can play with two people. It's it's a and you can connect TV. TV. Yep, it's a genius system. I love it, but I wanted to include this because I think as we you know continue to talk about subtraction and whatnot, that I didn't want us to get into this path of where like the answer is always subtraction. Because sometimes, like I said, it's a delicate dance of what are we, what do we need to learn to get to that point, or what do we need to remove to get to that point, or you know, isolate whatever. So, you know, I think the concept of being modular is very, very popular, mm-hmm. and I think yeah. that's what the Nintendo Switch removal, and in general, people are into that idea, so that you can have what you do need and nothing that you don't. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah. all right, but Vanna White. I kind of. But go ahead, Treasure. Oh, I was going to say, I kind of just want to go into The Lion King because you brought it up during that conversation. Oh, yeah. Let's so go if ahead. Y'all don't mind. Well, you, you're going to have to ask Miss you're gonna ask Ms. Vanna White. No, it's fine. <laughs> I just removed it from the wheel. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So, my, my idea behind The Lion King is it was Lion King minus um, live action equals a childhood that these kids really deserve. <laughs> oh, <wait>. um, <laughs> So, That's so stupid. I think 
think live action Lion King was a little bit much, right? And I think that this could benefit from a little reduction because I I know we talked about this before, but I really can't get behind CGI and all these like live action movies. And I think it is. I think they're trying to prime the market for something or they're testing the market for something. I just quite don't know what it is yet. But I would love to see it when we get there. And like you said, the Lion King, the new Lion King was built in VR and they're trying, they're, I really don't know what it is about this movie, but it being in live action does something to me. And I think they could have left it alone. Mm -hmm. I think they could have left it. I think they could have revamped the animation because there's new animation techniques that make it look Mm -hmm. real. But that was just, that wasn't it for me. It's very creepy because they're animals. And in any situation, a fake animal is never going to in this animals. In this instance, I can't hate on Disney as a company because I can see why they did The Lion King. One, Disney is not in the business of losing money. And so if they wanted to... um, test out this technology, which was like the the VR stuff and like all the different textures and whatnot that they use in, to make The Lion King. If Disney wanted to test this technology, if I was a business owner, why would I take the big, the big bet on making a new IP, so like intellectual property, to test this out that may fail and then I would not be able to tell whether it was because the movie sucked or because the technology sucked. And so this to me is like a giant experiment for Disney to figure out how figure out some of this new stuff that they're, you know, rummaging around in their brain and then how they can implement it in different spaces. Like, I don't see a future where Disney has incorporated the VR that's used in The Lion King in their parks in some wild-ass experience that were like, oh, wow, this makes sense. I love it here in Animal Kingdom VR, you know? And all that technology could have been from The Lion King. So, like... That's good. That's a good point. I don't. Th- this movie won't for the kids. This movie was for Disney. knew they wanted to make money and they wanted to test out new technologies. And they did that with the Lion King. They done it with Beating the Bees. They're going to do it with the Little Mermaid. Hopefully, they figure out how to make water look better than because you know they're going to be underneath water. And you know whenever people are underneath water in movies, they make it look like they're underneath water, and that's so distracting. If you watch movies, you know what I mean. When like you know how SpongeBob, they're underwater, but it's like suggested they're underwater. You know, like every now and again, you might see a swoosh or like a bubble, like, you know, stuff like that. But <laughs> but in like movies where they're underwater, it's like you, you don't see shit underneath the water. They just moving around and arms. I'm like, I don't need to know this. <laughs> Disney, don't do it. Don't do it, Disney. Because if they suggest that this this movie, that this newfound uh, mermaid is now underwater, is it? They can't just lean into that. They can't just say, we're going to nod to it because it's going to look stupid. Have y'all seen Aquaman? But they also can't go all the way. No. Have, I have not. Okay. Go watch Aquaman after this. That's a movie that did not suggest that they were underwater and just instead was like, okay, we're going to act like there's a camera underwater and we're filming people. And then you will be on my side. It was just like... <laughs> balance because if they don't then it's gonna remind me of those uh, cartoons not even cartoons but like blues clues as type of shows mm-hmm. like skit shows mm-hmm. where they're suggesting that they're underwater <laughs> but they look real crazy i'm i'm nervous you, now you mean like plays like when the background is just painted yeah. differently uh, blues, 
it, it looks like, have you ever been in the pool and opened up your eyes and tried to like look at your cousin underneath the water and it's just like, you know, they moving like that? That yeah. is how Aquaman we don't looks. Want that. I don't want that. I don't, <laughs> I don't need that yeah. from a film. But I agree with you, Treasure. Do I think they could have leaned away from just like trying to make the animals have personality and like they weren't emoting and all that stuff? Sure. But all of the stuff that they gained from adding to this, well, in a way, they did subtract because they could have made the animals like super expressive and gave them like animated faces and put them on bodies and yeah. all this other stuff. But they yeah. said, no, we're going to make them animal like, but give them voices. <laughs> that's true. That's true. They didn't go full CGI, facial expression and emotion. They didn't do all of that. So that is them holding back. It's a different type of minimalism that I don't know. <laughs> I feel like it's <laughs> you know, really hard. Because again, I feel like it's it's like you're trying to evaluate it in the context of what you feel. And and not you, like I mean like like what we know of the movie. And I think when Lion King came out, it was banging soundtrack in the graphics of the day mm-hmm. that was a nice little story that we all know and love. But like kids these days have that. And they have tangled. You know, they have like frozen. What is it? Frozen. They have you know, they have that. So yep. but that I don't know why I don't know what Disney was trying to do with that one. That one I really am stumped about because I told you what it's too important to, to their discography to like let it flop like that. So maybe they did have a reason. Maybe it's just like the Wii U. Yeah. I'm saying. Like you're saying, they Jeremy. It's probably in the market for something, and I just don't know what See, it is yet. That's my only theory is they got to be testing something, and they was not trying to lose money off of, you know, off of some sort of big bet. Because it's probably expensive to use that sort of technology on, like, that scale. And See, I think of it, like, in the future, where there is a lot of, you know, realistic movies that are filmed in VR, that's a lot of onboarding to teams that work in that flow if they haven't worked in that before. And so a lot of time from an organizational standpoint, if you are trying to prime the rest of your organization for this big change, you have to start with one team and then scale it up, you know, because it's going to break and it's going to have different things and some people aren't going to click. And so that's when you start implementing the onboarding process and we work this way, like all the other process stuff comes sort of afterward. But they have to start somewhere. And I just think they didn't want to risk losing so much money and making a new IP, hiring this new team where they could just get fucking, I forget the producer of the of the Lion King, um, Favre, I think was his last name. Any which way, could just got him, he played Happy in Spider-Man, so whatever, he knows who he is. Could just got him um, to just direct this film that we all know and love and test new technology with the tried and true team to then figure out how do we do more of this because it works. Hmm. businesses are smart they just maybe sometimes we just can't see all of it which sometimes it ain't for us we just you know sometimes i just want to exist in this world but it'd be hard but are we giving them too much credit probably (laughs) probably probably. They still made Lion King and a half. I don't know what the, the strategy behind that was. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to find the silver lining here because that shit was a shit show, but <laughs> I'm trying to make it, maybe I'm trying to make it make sense in my mind because I still can't comprehend why they made this film the way they did. Spin that wheel! Spin that wheel! Next up is 
All right. This was me again, and y'all know what the mo control is. The mo control? SP. The mo control? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. You know what? I didn't know that's how you spelled it. I'm like, what's a mon control? I didn't know. I did not understand. When you said it out loud, I understood what you meant. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Mine is the next one is the mo control minus all the extra options will be the Apple remote. And so I have brought my Apple remote with y'all so y'all can all see. This is the Apple Siri remote from Apple TV. This is how they want you to control your TV with. Okay. Okay. Is it a one, two? No. It's, so it has a touchpad right here, like in your phone. Okay. And you can control stuff like that. And then these are the buttons. So they essentially took the remote, the regular remote that we all know and love, and made this thing instead uh, for it. So why do they need buttons? What do you mean why do they need buttons? If it was touchscreen, why do they need to have buttons on it? It's not touch screen. It's a trackpad on the bottom of it or the top oh, of it. So it's a trackpad but it's on the not, top. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But it they need buttons because you need to control certain things. You need to be able to access mm -hmm. certain things without mm -hmm. the remote being so damn convoluted. So I bring this example up because this example gives me less is always not more. Because there's a couple of things that is wrong with this remote. And I want to prefaces by saying Apple recently announced that they are redesigning this remote. I'm gonna put in the screen. They recently announced that they are redesigning this remote and they have made it bigger. They have added additional buttons. They have changed stuff up. They have gotten rid of this touchpad for a couple of reasons. It's one, the job of remote is to be a fucking remote. And because they've removed everything from this, this shit is unusable. It slips between the couch every two seconds. Me holding it in my hand right now is shaking because I cannot like where are you supposed to put it? You can't put it nowhere. This shit is always it's always slipping and sliding. You can't hold it. You you the the trackpad is so fucking sensitive. Listen, the way that you fast forward like through a movie, you have to click on this thing, right? And then slowly pan your finger like this to get to where you want. Girl, I'll <laughs> be trying to move five minutes, movie ended because I've been skipped to the end. <laughs> But they, this is their second time redesigning that remote because they already redesigned it once. Mm -hmm. They didn't have a trackpad on there. They actually had other buttons. So are they bringing back the old design or are they completely overhauling it? So they're no, they playing games. They're doing what we was talking about earlier where they're just like releasing things just to see how it do. <laughs> they're just releasing things because they know that you guys will give them their loyal no. dollars. I think this is an example of like less is more gone haywire because it, it removes the functionality of a remote. So the first design of the Apple remote and the newest design of the Apple remote, which is not this one, this is like the middle design, they essentially like got rid of everything that they touted as like game changing. Like this has a like a um, I think a gyroscope in it. So if you play games, like it measures how much you're turning and whatnot. They got rid of all the fancy stuff and were just like. This shit now has a click wheel, it has buttons, it has all the stuff that you want out of remote, right? For me, this is an example of sometimes giving people less is not what you want to do. Like sometimes refining it down to giving it, like the job of remote is to control the TV. 
And this is not doing well at that job. I feel like, um, and not even like shade on Apple, I feel like a lot of times very sleek designs that are very modern and simplistic, Mm -hmm. they get a lot of clout and they attract a lot of attention Mm -hmm. because you're like, oh, wow, like look at how they reinvented the wheel. But just because it's different and like simpler Mm -hmm. doesn't mean it's better. I think a lot of times people focus too much on what it looks like and then forget the function. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think Roku has done a good job of being a minimal yeah. remote, but also being usable. Uh, I have one right here, oh. and it don't have all the you know it doesn't have all the extra buttons, but it does mm-hmm. have these hot buttons. I can access mm-hmm. you know apps directly. I got fast forward, pause, rewind, and then you know navigation buttons. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know steady buttons, but it's not like, and then it has the volume buttons and stuff like that on oh, the I side. Oh, I like that. I think it's. It's functional, yeah. but it's still minimal. It doesn't have all the numbers and yeah. things. You don't really need that anymore. Yeah, like this is not. This is a highlight of of, of um, form over function because it's not. It's not usable. Like it's usable, but it's not the best experience when I'm trying to browse TV because you know what I'm not trying to do is I'm not trying to fumble through my couch to find the remote or I'm not trying to like use my remote in the dark and not know which way I'm holding it. Because all the buttons and things feel feel the same. And so now you got me looking like a dummy because I'm trying to scroll on the side that's not scrollable. And the, the TV ain't doing this. This might just be me being pissed because now I got to buy a new remote because they're redesigning it. And I'm like, this shit better work the next time. Because I love my Apple TV. It's just I hate the remote because it's it's too minimal. Like, it does not work as a remote. It's, yeah. not, it's not usable for me and my viewing pleasures. And that's all I'm saying. How come the phone can't be a remote? So the so the, it probably can't. the phone it can't be. can be the remote and the the remote on the phone is so much better because it uses your phone's touchscreen you get better panning and like whenever you need to type into it you can just pull up your keyboard and like type the stuff so the phone works a lot better as I suggest remote. subtract the whole remote <laughs> subtract the whole remote stick with the phone if you have an Apple TV you have an iPhone and it's next to you while you're watching TV mm-hmm. Why do we that's have true. different devices? This is true. Watch TV. Right. Right. I think that's Apple for you though, because they do a lot of subtraction mm-hmm. that is redundant and very, um, re- really reductive in nature. And when I say reductive, like it just makes the experience like it makes you not want to even deal with them anymore. But you're so trapped in this little economic moat that they've created that you can't get out the experience. It's a moat. It's a moat because I have a I have a MacBook, I have an iPad, I have an iPhone, I got an Apple TV. It's like I'm stuck here for a while because our products already didn't cost me an arm and a leg. I think I think this Apple is just a I, like Apple is a weird one because I think all of their products can benefit from some addition. Like y'all trying to be too minimal. And mm-hmm. it's not serving us mm-hmm. properly. Like y'all didn't took the yeah. headphone jack, y'all didn't took all the USB cords and plugs off the laptop. Damn, what do I have? And then you know what? I'm real pissed about this because y'all took the headphone jack off the phone, but y'all left it on the laptop. That don't even make sense. But, yeah, you know. How are you sitting here on the on the computer with computer with earphones on? The part that got me pissed is y'all left the headphone jack on the iPhone, on the phone, on the computer, but y'all changed the ends on the headphones. 
I can't even use those headphones on my computer. So what am I supposed to do? I want me to go buy new headphones. <laughs> I'm so haughty. They are all over the place with that. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole different episode we can have on just Apple's product ecosystem and how it's slowly devolving into... I will not be attending that day. Because <laughs> I went to the doctor. It's really... <laughs> They really uh, do not do a lot of cross-team collaboration, and it shows. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do not my choice. Hey, li- I, listen. I just think they be on the pulse of a, they be on the pulse of technology. And no, they don't. Sometimes they do. They make things be the pulse. Well, that is true. We're talking about the mo control and how they subtracted too much <laughs> off this fucking mo control. They don't to- need a mo control. <laughs> To make it work. So they had to go back and add some shit on to it to make it actually function as a remote control. So the lesson well the le- the lesson here is subtraction may take away, but you gotta remember what like what the user's goal is. And my goal is to just flip through my shows and I can't do that on this. I say subtract the subtract the remote. Subtract some shit. But just this won't it. Give, give me gestural. Gestural control over my TV. What if I could just do this and I could fast forward? Okay. Or I could go like this. Oh, like, really- come on. If y'all on the pulse of culture and the pulse of technology, come on, do something real with it. Thing like- costs $5,000 and we'll be in two people's households. <laughs> but those commercials would be dope. Apple products are unattainable anyway. So, well, not unattainable, but they're for a specific type of budget. Yeah, yep. <laughs> You gotta have big tech checks. Okay. Uh, All right. The Mo Control Apple. The Mo Control minus extra option equals Apple Remote, which is a failure and was a lesson in subtracting too much. And then still not enough at the same time. (laughs) Subtracting the wrong things. All right. What's next? I'm spinning the wheel. Next, we have desktop computers. And desktop computers, um, they have evolved. They have evolved. I think the formula here was desktop computers minus hardware tire towers um, or hard drive towers, excuse me, um, equals IMAX or whatever. And this is a place where Apple really was on the pulse of technology they changed the game right they was out here changing the game so imac g3 was one of the you know the old the old imac computers um big booty judy's colorful backs on yeah yeah those changed the game those were like the first popular all-in-one computers and i think this is an example of back in the day apple really was you know, an innovative company. Well, they're still an innovative company, and I think they're always pushing the needle forward. But I think this was a great example of subtractive design. Mm-hmm. Um, because all you had to do was buy one piece. Have you seen the new IMAX? Yes, I have. Mm-hmm. They colorful ones. I think they're bringing back that aesthetic. Mm-hmm. I, I listen. I love when Apple goes colorful. I just think. I just tired of these black slate computers and stuff like that. I'm trying to have a little fun with my with, with my stuff, but I think you're right. They are they can really figure out what I don't know if it's what people hate or what they hate, and then go and like redesign whatever that is, and then people are like, I hate that too. 
And so they, you know, kind of like go go along with it. And this was a lesson because people got tired of, I got to get a monitor and a fucking, you know, hard drive thing to use my computer. Why can't I just have one? You know, I got to figure out a spot for both of them. And so I think this whole subtractive method is grounded in like problem solving, right? And the problem there is like, mm-hmm. if you want a fancy computer, you might not want to have the desktop, but you still might, I mean, you might not want to have the actual computer, which is the thing that sits on the, used to sit on the floor back in the day. Uh, you might just want a fancy looking thing on top that does it all and you don't have to worry about X, Y, and Z coming in, into it. I do think they might have subtracted a little bit too much because now it has less ports and mm. is... But you know, they was going to do that anyway. That's just, that's just how they are. Listen, I'm waiting for the future where Apple's like, yes, we have no ports and you just upload everything <laughs> to the to iCloud and then you have to pull it down to your computer. <laughs> You know what? I think Apple's gonna reach a point where I think Apple has already reached this point. They are trying to figure out how to build it in and how to prime. They're they're priming the market because That's the word of the day. if you think about priming how, the market, <laughs> because if you think about it, they the technology that they use with uh like AirPods and those AirTags that they have, it's like a proximity thing. It doesn't, it's not necessarily it's like I think it's Bluetooth 5.0 or something like that. It's just mm-hmm. about proximity. If you open up a new pair of headphones near an iPhone, that iPhone is gonna connect to those AirPods and name them for you and say these are Treasure's AirPods or these are Jeremy's AirPods. Mm-hmm. You ain't even had to you didn't even have to go through the the notion of going through your settings and things like that in order for it to connect. So, I think they're getting rid of ports, but they might have some kind of, like, charger that you don't even got to connect your computer to the charger. As long as it's near it, it's going to pick it up and charge it. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need no, you don't need all of that. Computer's going to be blowing up. Listen, and, <laughs> and that might be too much of it. That might be too much subtraction. Like, just give me a charger. Just give me the plug. I, I don't need this. Let me plug into the wall. Let, yeah. You know? Like you know, like for instance, when they got rid of the CD ROM, mm-hmm. you know, like that was one of those things where it was like, damn, like if you happen to be trying to play a DVD, mm-hmm. you know, but we now that we don't have DVDs, you less encounter that situation where you yeah. wish that you had a CD ROM, you know, or or a tape perfect example. Bar. Perfect example of priming the market. They removed CD players, CD ROM players, and disc players from their products. They started becoming removed from cars. They started to, they still exist. People still sell and make CDs, but where the damn CD players at? I don't mm-hmm. have one. I'm going to play it. I think I play have it on. A car. I do. But newer cars are, ta- they're taking that technology out. Like I haven't had one in my car since 2014. Like, mm-hmm. yep. You're absolutely right. So, like that's a, that's a prime example of how how big corporations can definitely change the market. It, and it was no it was no necessary reason for CD players or CDs to go extinct. No, like they worked. Yeah. But I mean, internet came. Mm-hmm. I think this I think this desktop computer example is just like an example of just like hardware and how subtraction can help, you know, create a a different actual vertical of products you can be working with because now we still have desktops, but now we also have all-in-ones, which are this like different space for a different type of consumer, which solve their need. So it's all about problem solving, and sometimes less is more. Like taking stuff away can solve that issue. 
Are we spinning this wheel one more again? We got some good ones on here, but we won't. We do. Okay, work from home. This one's going to be quick. So remote work minus let's have a Zoom equals a better work day, question mark. The reason I say this is because I am convinced that having more Zoom meetings isn't necessarily a bad thing. It could just be a symptom that your workplace is not having efficient, is not making efficient time of their Zooms, okay? And I say this because what could be solved in 30 Slack messages going back and forth can be solved in one 15-minute Zoom thing if we use our time effectively, if we use that time effectively. I don't think anybody would be more pissed to just have a more efficient workday. Yeah. If there was some sort of just like, if people just use that time better is all I'm saying. So maybe, but I think the the idea for a lot of people is like, oh, we need to have less meetings and less is that the third and like, you know, make everything asynchronous, which isn't the issue because I could spend more time trying to figure out this thing by you meshing me back and forth. And if we just hopped on the fucking call, and just yeah. use our time effectively. I think that's the line. It's just like, we don't know how to use time. So maybe subtracting the meeting isn't the answer. Maybe it's something else. But what do y'all think? I completely agree with that. Um, I feel like I, I don't even use um, Slack anymore at this point. Well, I will Slack a message, but let's hop. You got 10 minutes. So let's hop on a Slack call, resolve it. So we're not going back and forth for 30 minutes or however long mm -hmm. it's just easy. just here let me call you real quick this is what i'm looking at this is what i need but we're done here we don't have to even create a whole zoom message zoom meeting we don't have to create an entire team's meeting or mm -hmm. whatever it's just a quick easy way but yeah like you said people do not know how to use time effectively at all and i i'm one of them hey, right i'm about and to say i'm about to say we are here tooting our horn but i'll be like oh child <laughs> I've been at this, I've been slacking this girl for one hour to fix this problem, and then that's what hit me. Fuck, we could have been on the call to get to this point. Probably both would have been better off. But you know, it's not just the people running the meeting. Sometimes it's the people in the meeting too, and it's it's kind of everybody. Where it's like we we've normalized the chit chat and going back and forth, and the one person, the godsend, who's like, all right. Let's put this down for mm -hmm. next time around because we're getting in the weeds here. Like that's right, the person, right? The savior. Even for us, even for us, sometimes like I, like you know, I know we're all, I know we're all cool and I, well, we're more than cool. But sometimes we're, we're like, okay, we're off topic and we are not anywhere near our north star of, yeah. of where we need to be at in this meeting. But you're right; it takes like, why are we here? What are we doing? We have things to do to sort of like. Get, yeah. get through that, yeah. I'm not all clear. I've had meetings where people bring an agenda and there is an agenda and they go through stuff, but it's like they're moving like palm water through it. Mm -hmm. And is they and what they put in the agenda is not an exercise or activity to resolve the problem. It's more so like, hey, this is what's up on the agenda. Mm -hmm. And then they open the floor and then everyone's just going back and forth right. for 15, right. 20 minutes and you get nowhere. And people just get frustrated. You know how they say everything is designed? I firmly believe that if you think about it, even like designing how you're having conversations at work or how you sort of handle some of this problem is a design like problem. Like maybe it is you have to learn how to communicate through Slack effectively so that you have less messages, right? But maybe it is like the solution is 
having more meetings to then have or having more meetings to have more time later on down the road because you don't have to go back and forth or meet several times or throw this thing around. I think there's like levels to how you can subtract stuff. And sometimes it yeah. may look like adding more to subtract something later on down the road. I agree. Next spin. Next spin. Uh-huh. This one's going to be controversial. <laughs> What? What? Okay. So this one is the Fresh Prince. And the formula for this one was the Fresh Prince minus dark skin um, bib equals uh, a little boring auntie on there. Okay? Auntie was a little boring. So I don't speak my piece. Dark skin <laughs> auntie bib was the queen. Okay? She was the auntie. She was the auntie that I low-key aspired to be. She was successful. She was up. She dressed like she, woo, baby was fly, okay? Mm-hmm. And she was just, she was the good auntie and she reminded me of my aunties. Then they replaced her with this light-skinned chick. She was still an auntie. She was cool. She was nice. But you know, she wasn't like the auntie that we all, you know, you know when you get to feel like this, okay, she an auntie for real. Mm-hmm. She wasn't good. He wasn't giving me those vibes. Mm-hmm. So I think that the, the Fresh Prince was be- better with Darsky and Anviv. And how they going to replace her and just give her the same name? They could have gave her a different name. They could have created a storyline about them getting divorced and all kinds of stuff. But no, they just swapped her out. Mm-hmm. And I ain't like that. But how y'all feel? Yeah, they should have subtracted the whole role. I, I didn't need a different person to try to capture because then the whole dynamic is off. Yeah, I, I was going to say the same thing that SP was saying. Like, to ask somebody else to come in and act as somebody else playing a character is a lot. And so if they were in that predicament, it could have just been, let's just remove Aunt Viv and see how that affects the like dynamic of the show because essentially that's what they did. They removed her essence, her soul, the soul of Aunt Viv and just gave her you know, this, mm-hmm. this other person. And I think that if they incorporated her in a way where they allowed her to be her own character, her own self, we would have not, I mean, we still would have been torn because Aunt Viv was gone, but you know, that was out of our control anyway. But we may have loved who this new character could have been. We just had to. Right. We just had to keep on saying like, "This is not the one I remember. This is not the one." And and uh, you know, and I think we all have a, we all hate change like, inherently as people. And I know sometimes it's hard to accept the fact that like, how do I accept that things are that, you know something's changed and I got to be okay with it or like accept it for what it is is hard. But she could never be. Um, what star skin on this actual Janet Hubert? She could never be. Janet Hubert, and she could never be yeah. Janet Hubert playing that character, and that was too much of them to ask her to do. Yeah, like it, it didn't deter me from watching the show at all. And Fresh Prince is like one of my favorite shows, mm-hmm. um, so it definitely didn't deter me from watching the show. But I do think on the outside looking in, there is like, yeah, mm, what's you know. And then to not really, I think there was one line in the show, and he was like. You look different, or something mm-hmm. like that, and you know they had the last track, yada yada pushing. yada. But I, but I think that this is an example of where like subtractive design, or not even well, I guess it is design, but being subtractive in in production 
mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily have to hinder a thing or it doesn't have to necessarily make it better, but it could have been handled differently. Right. You know, I think it's also about what's right for the brand or the product because Roseanne did the same thing and they addressed it in a similar way. They, But it worked for the show. They all are the type to roll with the punches with their craziness in life. And it was comical enough that they're able to kind of just like keep it moving. I don't think Fresh Prince was quite the same way. I don't think the family members were designed in quite the same way. They weren't all over the place in the way that the Connor family was all over the place. Right. Um, yeah. Well, let's do let's do the yellow one and the in the dark green one. Okay. Sneezing. So the act of actually going. So who put this in? Minus there? minus the platitude of bless you would make the world a better place. And this is a conversation that we had like outside of recording. Um, and I think. The reason I put it on here is because it is an example of how we have added things into society and into cultural norms that have maybe complicated normal interactions. And I'm going to let SP speak on it because she has written up a five-page article about why we should bar saying bless you after sneezing from our entirety of cultural norms. But Listen, I don't have a problem if you bless each other. I just feel like it's just weird. Why do I have to bless you for sneezing? Uh, and I I understand the old wives' tale about your heart is stopped. So like, what? But imagine how weird it would be if somebody farted and everyone, well, everyone would stop and look at you and maybe stop the meeting and we all like congratulated you or like like hey like we just want to let you know Sally like we care about you. You good? All right, we'll go back to what we was doing. Pause. So why do we? Have- Interrupt our conversation. Has anybody what? ever like farted around y'all in like a setting where you like, oh, you didn't want to do that? <laughs> just sitting there. Yeah, and how sure. and how do people overcome that? People just are awkward and don't say anything. Right. People just don't say nothing because they, <laughs> they don't want to make the person be embarrassed. Exactly. But, but they're already you embarrassed because you're like you know what you, you can't just walk that off. You know what you did. You know <laughs> Why can't we normalize saying, oh, it's okay to somebody who farted and might be embarrassed? I feel like that's more useful. What are we doing that for? If you ain't trying to say excuse me or bless you for sneezing. We're going to sit here and randomly comment on each other's bodily (laughs) functions. The minute somebody somebody goes and you just see the meeting, somebody go like this. Wait, wait. (laughs) What you going to do when they... Gagging like, <laughs> cause you know, motherfuckers are so rude. They rude. Woo! <laughs> oh man! You know what? This past this past week, Tyrell and I have tried to not say "bless you" after we have um, each sneeze, and I can say we have shaved at least five minutes off of our day. So, <laughs> no, the hell y'all ain't. No, y'all ain't, and I don't even want to hear. Niggas don't even sneeze that much. It's al- it's allergy season. How did you feel about just 
letting it happen and continuing along with your day like nothing happened because it wasn't that big of a deal. At first, it was weird because I was so used to, you know, we're so used to saying, like, bless you. So for, I, once you, you know, brought up this argument, I really started to think, like, what do I receive from someone telling me bless you? And really, it's just nothing. my own sort of um, just me being wrapped up in my own, like, cultural norm. I have just be- become accustomed to having this thrown at me and like appreciating it for that. But so the first couple of days it was weird because I'm like, okay. But then I started to think, well, what is this really adding to me? And it's nothing. And so now when we both sneeze, we're just like, and we keep on doing whatever. And it's just like, it's once the acknowledgement was taken away, it's just like, oh, a sneeze is just a normal thing and not something that deserves a... You know, like, exactly. It's not a congratulations. It's literally you. It's just akin to a congratulations, sorry. though, because you don't bless anybody else at any time. Maybe you'd say grace, but you don't ever interact with anybody any type of way like that. My grandmama is turning over in her grave listening to this. Here. <laughs> you might say, "Have a good day." I make it a point too. I make people feel bad when they don't say "bless you." <laughs> Like my mama, if I sneeze around her and she don't say bless you, I literally will guilt trip her. Like yo, yo, mama didn't raise you like that. <laughs> Enough people go hard about saying bless you that make it feel like I have to say bless you. I will do it in mixed company. I definitely will do it. But if I'm in a room full of people, I won't say shit. You guys heard them bless you. You're blessed. Can we get back to what we're talking about? I don't care that you sneezed. You don't care that you sneeze. It just happened. You also trying to listen. Like, why does everyone have to come here saying. and like, pay attention to me? Well, SB has convinced me for once to change my life and shave. You too can shave five minutes off your day by getting. <laughs> shut up. Shut up. Listen, I'm gonna keep saying bless you. Sometimes I don't, but you know, for the most part, I try. Do you ever not say bless you like, when you don't, don't like somebody? Know. Sometimes I don't be liking yes, people. I I'm just I'm like, be like. <laughs> I'd be on Zoom and you know somebody might sneeze and I'm not gonna be all in the chat talking about bless you. Y'all can do it, but I won't. Y'all won't get a bless you out of me. Some people go out yeah. of their way and they'll be like, God like, bless like, you. Okay, God bless you. God okay. bless you. You sneeze three times in a row. God damn. Yep. You gonna get one guy, you know, don't sneeze no more. Because I'm not going to keep... And that's what I'm saying. It opens up the door to everyone commenting and tracking your sneezing patterns and your sneezing habits. And then I got to say thank you afterwards or else I'm rude. That's... that's, You're not wrong. Listen. I'm not wrong. Listen. The world is... The world from the eyes of S. Patricia. (laughs) What this really good says is like there are certain... Like saying bless you does no harm, right? You know? No. But there are certain things that once you start realizing that what if I just remove this from a from you know social interactions, what actually happens? And I think bless you is is one of them where you're just like, this is something we have ascribed meaning to and doesn't mean anything. No, it used to. So I had I had to look this up. Like, why do we say bless you? <laughs> and so this takes back to the plague, right? Because sneezing and coughing was a symptom and the Pope you know, set out and said, say God bless you. We gonna hope that if we say God bless you, you ain't gonna die from the plague. So you talking about bubonic <laughs> plague as sewage, dirty free ass London, white supremacy conquer the world ass, we gotta say bless you now when people sneeze. You wear clothes outside, don't you? 
Clothing serves a function, protecting you from the elements, protecting your feet from the road. Natural, like, natural selection, though. We was meant to be out here dead. We was meant to be out here with callous feet, you know? Survival of the fittest. Clothing is a technology that helped us overcome. All right. Treasure, I would equate it to burping in Japan. Apparently, it's considered polite to burp after a meal because it, it signifies that you enjoyed it. You know, so is it there? It could be meaning to a bodily function. Sure, I just think bless you is just kind of a weird. So, one. is there any is there any culture where breaking a little wind during a meeting means job well done? Good job, Stacy. Mm. Oh, good job, Stacy. Good job. <laughs> You know what? Probably in baby in nurseries and stuff. Like, oh, good job! You will congratulate a baby making a boom boom. Uh, okay. Last one for today. Last but not least, oh, you know what? I'm gonna spin the wheel anyway. It's just for some fanfare for the last one. I hope it comes out in the track. Ooh, Instacart. I'm ready for your thoughts on this one, Jeremy, because I know you use Instacart. I've used it a handful of times. Full disclosure, I enjoy grocery shopping. I like to cook and I like to see what they have. I like to see what's new. I like to buy on special. And I don't think that those are things that can happen through Instacart. It's great that you can get your groceries delivered to you, but I don't really feel like them actually giving it to me solves my hassles. If I'm bedridden, I still have to get out and pull the stuff up and bring it inside the house. Uh, there's not very many things about the experience that I find worth it, aside from it getting to my house on time, maybe, or me not having to physically go to the store. But the thing about Instacart that I really don't care for is their chat feature and the ability to coordinate with your person over what items you want or need. Because then it locks me in to like, I have to go grocery shopping with you, but I paid for you to grocery shopping for me. And now it's like, I might as well have just gone myself. Unless I'm physically unable, you making it more complicated. It's like trying to tell a five-year-old how to do something. You just do it yourself. I think they should take out that whole idea and maybe give you like a grab bag or something like option. Mm-hmm. Like, Hey, I know I need some vegetables, but if they don't have this, that, or the third, like, sure. Mm-hmm. I'll select something from this, but I have an allergy to that. And we'll lock you in at the same price. Like make Instacart worth my while. Mm-hmm. Make it worth my while. So you're saying Instacart, if they could just figure out a way around these sort of conversations where you have to figure out what you want in place of something else mm-hmm. could be a pretty decent experience. Yeah, I think so. I don't know how else they would do it because obviously if they don't have your brand of this and you didn't select what you would rather mm-hmm. have and they're confused by what's in front of them, they might have to look or talk to you or coordinate with you. But that also doesn't seem very economical or efficient for use me, of their time or yours. For me, it mirrors my, my, my and I would assume other people's behavior when they're actually in a store. So if you go into a a store looking for a product and they don't have what you want, you're naturally going to just look next in the aisle to sort of figure out, well, what else can I substitute this for? And you kind of, you're kind of going to have this conversation with yourself, like, does it fit this criteria? Does it have this? Does it have this? Does it have this? And you're going to go through it. I think if I would have a personal shopper, I would still want them to, because they don't know me enough, right? It's not like I hired this person to 
know what I like and just sort of like go out in this world and shop. They're kind of just serving this one need of just picking out things on a grocery list on the store. They're not really shop. They're not shopping for me mentally. They're just shopping for me based off of a list, right? If, if that sort of makes sense. Exactly. And so- But, but you're not there. Right. But I, I still would think that people still want to have the decision about what they're bringing to the home because there's a lot of factors. There's cost. There's whether this is actually right for my diet. There's, you know, maybe I'm not supporting this brand for some- um, societal reason. Like, there's a lot of different factors that I think if somebody didn't have that choice, they might get a product and just be pissed about it because like, I didn't fucking want Tide. I don't trust Tide. Yeah, I'm, aller- I'm allergic to this. You can choose whether you want a substitution or not, and you can choose what you would want instead. But I think that process could be a little bit more interactive. Why can't I see what's actually in the store? And when I select something, you allow me to like visually look at that shelf and mm-hmm. select other things that could, if that's not there, mm-hmm. give me this or that or that or nothing. You know, like let me see now. And that way, you don't, I don't have to be with you. Instacart gives me the same as when your mom might have sent you to the store, but you're on the phone with them because you're trying to figure out what exactly she wants from the store. Like you're just, you're just offloading a task onto somebody else, but they should still be allowed to get feedback. Exactly. Maybe there needs to be a more standardized way for them to do it. And maybe that's where they can like reduce some of the complexity here. For sure. How do we handle this sort of substitutions to make it easier across the board? But I think it's necessary. I think it's necessary for them to handle the substitution situation. I just don't think their way about it it elevates their product at all. If anything, Mm -hmm. it kind of hunkers it down. or Because it doesn't solve the problem. It really doesn't solve the problem. It, It creates more back and forth to where... If I know you're going to be in the store for these 40 minutes, I kind of have to be on standby for these 40 minutes to make sure that I get what I need, in which case I could have just gone myself. People who use services like this and before Instacart was even a thing, like, um, you know, they'll call in and place grocery orders for delivery or there were like services that people mm-hmm. could call in. It's like you can't even be picky with those services. So like if you're using a service like Instacart, I don't think you really have the space to be that picky, even though you're paying a premium and they, they're giving you options to make a change. Mm-hmm. But I don't use card because I don't like people picking out my produce. It's not made for picky people that want to just like, I want to have exactly this. And I don't want to choose anything else. Like I want someone else to do the thinking for me and just like- But at the same time, you have to do all your own thinking because you have to tell them exactly what you want. Well, I think the opposite- you go in and be like, I want to get something sweet. Well, Let me see what the bakery has. Well, like the opposite is like hiring- a personal shopper that learns you over time. And so then so then they're actually like, mm-hmm. okay, I know um I I know Miss Danielle likes her crackers this way and I know they don't have any saltines, but this one is the same as saltines, so I'm gonna get this. Like, it takes someone either a really smart fucking AI or an actual person who just has learned you and knows your likes and dislikes over time. Or they could build you a profile. But he, and tell you exactly how picky am I? Am I low sodium? Am I this or that? Am I price conscious? I mean, even am still, I- there's so many like options in a grocery store. Yeah, that's true. That I feel like even if they could make you a profile and get you down to either 15 crackers, we got you down to three, somebody <laughs> would still have to pick, you know? Yeah. That's true. And would you rather that decision lie with the person shopping or with you? What am I paying you for, though? I'm glad it's there for people who don't have access, though. I'm or mm-hmm. I'm glad it's there 
people who it works for because I'm sure that's something that's stressful to try to get your groceries or like if you don't have a car or stuff. I totally get that. I just feel like they could do a little bit better. That's true. For the technology that's out there, it's, it's, it's underwhelming me, you know? That's fair. We have got through our we have got through our exhausted list of stuff. Y'all ready to wrap this wrap this bad boy up? One, I want to ask y'all, how difficult do you think it would be like reframe your mind to sort of approach things from a less is more standpoint? Um, depends on what it is. I'm liable to have a stroke if you keep asking me to take stuff away. Like you don't want that. You don't want that either. No, we gotta take it away. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like I would literally, I would literally have a conniption. Like thinking about me right now as a designer because I'm already. I always try to find the the easiest way to get to a solution. Yep. Or like I always try to design for an MVP, so it's already minimal, um, in my mind. Mm-hmm. Once it reaches the end, mm-hmm. but if you talk about like having the MVP and then having somebody else come in and say, "Okay, have you thought about removing this or removing that?" Like. Well, what is it now? Like, mm-hmm. it's. I feel like it's nothing. But I think it's something that you definitely have to train for, and definitely have to be aware of. And mm-hmm. I think it could be a specialty mm-hmm. of, of designers, like a person who specializes in subtractive design methods, because mm-hmm. yeah, not. A lot, I don't think a lot of designers see it as a mm-hmm. an area of opportunity. I think a lot of designers may look at it as like stunting their their the product that they're trying to create right and like to your point i agree with you that i think as a study was saying it is very much in human nature to want to just add more and more and more and sort of try to think about why that is some of the things that they capitalized on it was a one it's hard so it's it's hard to sometimes think about you know as designers a lot of us as a good designer right a lot of us think Mm -hmm. that everything that we have here is intentional right so it's very important that everything works in this way, everything has its place. And it's hard to sort of like Treasure was saying, remove some of that stuff. Like I feel that too. Where I'm like, I've made this great system. And if any one thing is removed, the system's not gonna like be right. And maybe that's a testament to saying, like, maybe we need to do. I think the other part is that it's also not incentivized, is is what um the research was sort of saying. Like a lot of companies, a lot of places you work will just incentivize having great ideas, big solutions that move things forward, but really don't incentivize like the small changes, sometimes small changes that you make to sort of get to that or like strip things away or just realize that this is adding a lot of complexity. How do we reel this back? I think a lot of times we think about, um, and that goes along with like, sometimes it's not the most creative solution out there. Like Exactly. And I think that's, you know, that sort of speaks to us because a lot of times we talk about information architecture, which is literally organizing information like that we are presenting to people. And that doesn't always look sexy. Like doesn't always look like, wow, I'm working this really big thing. You know, we organize titles in a way to help drive people through the traffic so they really got mm-hmm. the content they love. Like that sounds great, but it really just looked like you organize this in a certain way. And that's not, yeah. you know, it's not sexy and it's not always okay. incentivized as well as, Yo, we made this revolutionary product that did X, Y, and Z was real convoluted, you know. Yeah. Especially when people start trying to solve really complex things. Mm-hmm. They start trying to build something equally as complex to address all right. these different issues in a system. Right. When really you could just 
like shut off the valve basically Mm -hmm. and like figure out a way to divert all of those problems Mm -hmm. by looking at what's the true issue now right um but to answer your question i don't know how i don't know that it's really that difficult i really think the more difficult issue is with your team or a company because again like people are you have to be at a company that's very that encourages those type of disruptive questions Mm -hmm. like do you guys are do you think that we're going in the right direction with this? Do we need to walk it back? Jeremy, remember your Spotify and um, Spotify and HelloFresh the food. project? Mm-hmm. Yep. And that was one that you said that you guys was trying to make something work. And then you had the confidence and courage to be like, you know what, let's just start over. Yeah. That's not working. Yeah. Like, let's try it this way. And a lot of people are not willing to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, even when they know the ship is going down. Even when they know mm-hmm. it's like starting to sink, they just get latched on exactly. to the idea they've been working on. I don't know. We sort of got into this like complexity race and we're just adding, 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 adding. You know, yeah. I'm victim, a victim of it too, of whenever I do this stuff, like, oh, okay, how do we make this better? How do we plus this up? Um, but now I'm. But at, the same, at the same time, every time I see people. With like new UX, like the best time, the best way to collaborate. Like they're always saying things like this. Like we really had to sit back and actually look at what the data was telling us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and they're always. Whenever I hear people talking about this breakthrough, they're always saying like, "Oh, we flipped the problem on its head, and we realized that this this was really the true heart of the matter." Like the thinking is out there, I, and I'm not sure what's happening in the execution. Mm-hmm. It's is is adding adding more. And it becomes, I don't know, a complicated sort of thing. So I want to end this, you know, this whole entire thing about subtraction and how we can incorporate this into our process. Because I think it's very important for us even. Like we played around and we joked with some of this stuff. But it's important to think how actually less can be more or less can help you get to more elegant solutions that could add more in the, in the future. So I think that's more of like adding value to the that type of stuff um, and whatnot. So I want to challenge us to thinking that how can we continue to make this into a habit for us? So as us as a collective as designers, how can we encourage each other and then spread by wildfire with our, you know, mad and crazy subtractive ideas to help continue to like push us forward, but make us more like well-rounded designers. Because I think of anything, this helps us look for out for problems in a different way. Like, yes, I can add more, but what can we take away? Or what, hmm, what actually problem could we sculpt this down to to really help and solve this problem? Mm. How, how are we going to make this into a habit, y'all? I think that design sprinting is a useful way to go about that. Um, like, for one, it kind of gets you all in a habit of, like, a low-risk way of solving problems and realizing over time, like, hey, we do have a tendency to want to get extravagant here or, you know, like these are the type of ideas that really start to resonate with us. Um, And just to name a specific example, when we did that project, when we did a design sprint over a course of a week, um, the exercises were designed to kind of try to help us get there, you know, Um, and we weren't familiar with that model. But at the end, looking back, I saw how going through the exercise of what is the actual problems that are root here? What are our goals here? And how do they speak to that? Once we started building out and designing things, we had something to measure up to, you know, and it's really more so up to you to just continue to cross-reference back to your goals when starting out and the problems when doing your research, 
to make sure that your design solutions actually do answer that. Right. And I think the remote control is the best example of that. Like the one that you showed us was the best example of that. I completely, completely agree with that. Um, even like building it in as a phase of your sprints um, or just having that overarching question toward the end of your sprint. Like once you reach a solution, ask the question of how might we, you know, subtract some things and, and still have the same effect. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's that. I think that is the only way that we can build it into practice is, you know, reserving space for asking the questions like, mm-hmm. what can we take away without hindering, you know, the solution? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ooh, hey, Treasure, you know, you just reminded me of another instance. Um, you were on a project with, um, maybe it was like, like, fast fashion or something. It was like, it was for Berwin's class. And I remember we were getting down to the wire and you were saying, you know, like to me, it's just not tight yet. Like the strategy is not right. Like it's not there. And you were getting a lot of pushback. You were getting a lot of pushback over this idea and you had to dig your heels in and say like, you know, it just doesn't feel right. And it's an unpopular thing to do that. One, it takes a lot of courage to be able to do that. But when you see it you can't unsee it and then everyone else whenever you guys actually ended up doing whatever you're doing everyone was like oh okay it all clicked into place but they were trying to put forward with something that wasn't about to work yeah that's true okay yeah I remember that project and I think the only thing that made that project successful is because I wasn't the only one who saw it so me and Doug actually was Mm -hmm. Doug he came in and had my back and we worked it out together and we just re we workshopped the strategy together and then presented it to the team. So I think you have to have, you can't just be one person. I think yeah. you have to get, create buy-in yep. um, for sure. Because if you, if it's just you advocating for something, it can get really hard once mm-hmm. that pushback comes in, but you can create buy-in with at least another one other person on your team and y'all can create a, y'all can come up with something scrappy to just, you know, articulate what you are you know where are you trying to move the project to um i think it's easier to you know get that other buy-in from those other team members right you definitely have to have somebody come back because that mm-hmm. that pushback is like stressful like mm-hmm. but I, yeah mm-hmm. i do remember that project i think that brings up an interesting point that we might be more geared you know now after this to think about subtraction as a way of solving problem but it's still might be met with a lot of pushback because you might be around a lot of additive folks. The whole culture of co-working needs to appreciate those type of questions and encourage people to bring up an alternative point of view. But most places don't do that, you know, or they just, they can't justify those type of changes. Like their system, their process doesn't really allow for you to make those type of risky changes. Right. Or they've never seen it. You know, done before. Mm-hmm. So I think this is a manifesto for us to continue to push each other to subtract from our some of our process. And maybe that relates to how we handle this podcast. Maybe it relates to how we go out, you know, think about work, think about friendships. And like, what? Sometimes doing less is the new more. Mm-hmm. On that note, Miss Treasure B, close us out, please, with our evening prayer. <laughs> Word of the day is premeditated. No, word of, word of the day was priming the market. My bad. All right, y'all. Thank y'all so much for kicking in with us today. 
as we explored subtractive design and how brands can either use it to their favor or to their detriment. Um, the quote of the day today was priming the market. A lot of brands have been, you know, getting us, doing things to make us, you know, accept future things that they're going to do. And so, yeah, priming the market. That was our quote of the day. So I hope y'all enjoyed it. And I hope y'all return next Thursday and the Thursdays after that. Make sure y'all follow us on Instagram at the Creative Block Podcast and on Twitter at the Creative Block. And that is at the Creative B L C K. It's been real, y'all. Bye. Bye. Oh.